Well, it's the month of August, a great time for paddling in the Boundary Waters. Thanks for stopping by and checking out the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Support for today's episode comes from Duluth Pack. Hey, loyal listeners and supporters of WTIP's Boundary Waters podcast. This is Tom Sega, the president and CEO of Duluth Pack, and we are excited to sponsor the Boundary Waters podcast. We are very proud that Duluth Pack is the oldest canvas and leather bag and pack manufacturer in the United States of America. For a continuous 137 years, we have been handcrafting canvas and leather packs, duffels, totes, shooting sports, outdoor gear, and canoe packs in Duluth, Minnesota. That is dating all the way back to 1882. We are so proud of our time-tested quality and materials that allow you our loyal customers to enjoy generational adventures in the outdoors with your Duluth Pack products. All Duluth Pack manufactured products come with a lifetime guarantee on all craftsmanship and hardware. Duluth Pack's rich American heritage and history originated in the Boundary Waters when our founder, Camille Poyer, discovered the need for a rugged pack. This is when he patented the official Tump line. Today, Duluth Pack offers over 350 different styles of products. Along with our manufactured gear, Duluth Pack's retail store in Canal Park region of Duluth holds the title of the largest cooperator of Boundary Waters permits in the world. You can shop at Duluth Pack's flagship retail store and our website at DuluthPack.com for all of your Boundary Waters needs. We thank you for your support loyalty and business to both Duluth Pack and WTIP's Boundary Waters podcast. Duluth Pack, handcrafted since 1882. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters and it's, it was really cool, it was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars, I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Welcome to episode 20 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm here with your host, Joe Fredericks. Hey, and I'm here with your host, Matthew Baxley. There he is, Matthew Baxley. (laughs) I'm here recording the 20th episode of this podcast. You had this glow. That's why I really had to emphasize, you know, your introduction here, because there's there's an aura about you as Mm. we hit the 20th episode today. It's, uh, you know... Year and a half, all things Boundary Waters. Mm-hmm. Can't think of a better thing to talk about, dive into, and explore. Today, we're going to be diving into a couple of really great interviews. We are, and one of them 
really didn't go quite as we planned. You know, we heard in episode 19 about a trip that didn't go quite as we planned. Well, in episode 20 today, we're going to hear about an interview with uh, someone uh, who we have a lot of respect for. We're getting to know a little bit more. Her name's Chelsea Lloyd, and she used to work up the Gunflint Trail at Tuscarora. Um, We first met her, actually, Matthew, in person at the Midwest Mountaineering Show back in April, and she came up to the booth, and and we got to meet Chelsea there. But uh, we knew we found out she was doing a trip earlier this year, and uh, then she stopped into WTIP, and we just thought it'd be a, a... fun interview to hear about her experience of going back to Tuscarora where she paddled out from and that was the original plan I guess. Well it certainly did take an unexpected turn. Speaking of unexpected turns also in episode 19 we talked about hammock camping a little bit uh, with uh, your trip uh, into the wilderness and uh, the chaos that ensued before the joy set in and uh we're gonna we kind of just touched on hammock camping in in that episode so to build on that uh we're gonna be hearing from danny warnock uh he is basically a professional hammock camper more or less Mm -hmm. and he's gonna be giving us the overview of what's out there uh to get yourself into the wilderness sleeping in a hammock okay yeah so uh, a whole variety of topics and again stay this interview with Chelsea is uh, got really interesting right away so <laughs> so enjoy that let's, let's jump right in joining us now on the podcast is Chelsea Lloyd we're proud to have Chelsea here just wrapping up uh, her July Boundary Waters trip first trip of the season And uh, thank you, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Joe, for having me here. Hey, it's great that you're in Grand Marais and here where we record the podcast. Uh, You know, we've talked with you at the Midwest Mountaineering Expo and just uh, online. So now you're you're here. You're actually in Grand Marais at the studio. (laughs) So this is great. Thank you so much for stopping by. You may have heard Chelsea's name thrown out on the podcast. She composed a piano rendition of our theme song by Ian Tamblin, which she recorded her uh, singing and playing that, uh, which was a moving ending to a very, very emotional and heartfelt episode. So thank you for all the work you did on that and well, what that meant for the podcast and for that episode. Well, thank you so much for for listening and for airing it. So, Chelsea, uh, Matthew mentioned you just did a, a trip here, and we've been hearing so many things about bugs, but tell us about <laughs> your trip in general. The trip, oh my goodness, it was so fun. It was I was just itching to get out on the water, and um, now I'm itching from the <laughs> <laughs> black fly bites. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so we, we went out of Tuscarora Lodge in Canoe Outfitters, um, which I worked there six summers ago. So that was really neat to be back uh, and see kind of some of the changes. And yeah, we we portaged the Tusk Portage and we basically just base camped on, on Tuscarora. Yeah. Cool. All right. So you have worked up the Gunflint Trail and you're obviously familiar with the Boundary Waters. Um, is this a family connection or how did you find out about the, the Boundary Waters area? Um, so I'd always wanted to, to check this place out. I love canoeing. Um, and so I... I decided to apply for a job at Tuscarora. I saw it on a job board when I was going to St. Olaf College. Um, 
Sue Arndt uh, had posted she had, she's an Oli too. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was just recently up at the uh, Boundary Waters Expo, and one of the cool things I got to witness was a lot of reunions uh, mm. by people who have worked up the Gunflint Trail at various outfitters, Tuscarora, Seagull, uh, Hungry Jack, Voyagers. And, you know, it really got me thinking about how, you know, so many people discover the Boundary Waters through these outfitting jobs and and discover a community in the process uh, on the edge of the Boundary Waters. What was that like during your time of discovering the Boundary Waters while discovering that community and making connections? I mean, were you guys going out together on trips? Were you getting together and playing beach volleyball as some of those young people do <laughs> yeah that I think that was one of the one of the best parts of the summer um we the summer I worked at Tusk we had we worked for six days and we had one day off and we made the most of the afternoon and the morning and we would go on on trips together for sure um I think one of the things I remember most that was really fun is we'd kind of all carpool together. Um, I used to drive a Tahoe, so we'd kind of cram into my Tahoe and carpool down down to Grand Marais and do ultimate Frisbee on Thursdays. We looked forward to that. Um, classic college sport. Yep, classic. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, we did sand volleyball at, at Voyagers. Um, sometimes we'd meet up at Blankenberg and have fires. Um, yeah, it was super fun for sure. Cool. And so, Chelsea, you obviously make um, beautiful music. I mean, we heard your rendition of Campfire Light. Is this something that you do professionally? Um, what's the music connection the music just connection. In, your, in your life in general? Yeah. So um, I have a degree in vocal performance. Um, so and I, I teach voice and piano lessons. So that's kind of my my main gig right now. Um, I also um, I'm a choir conductor, so I, I conduct a church choir. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm hoping to pursue a career as a choir teacher. Um, and yes, I just, I just love music, so it's really nice to have that be the center of my life too. Cool. It's pretty cool that you know I know there, we have these complex connections with with the wilderness, and I know you sort of do too. You spent time at the Outfitters. You've been going on your own trips, and I think if I remember correctly, you have a sort of a, a deeper family connection with the wilderness. Is that correct? Um, that is correct. So I, um, my grandmother is Anishinaabe, and she um, she's an amazing paddler. She's eighty, and she's still such a strong paddler. So I grew up. Um, paddling that's a that's a big that's my big connection to paddling into the wilderness and to nature um, is is through that heritage really yeah so you know here's the thing you guys you you guys ask a lot of questions of a lot of really cool people and I've been an avid podcast listener of this podcast Um, but I when we met at Midwest Mountaineering was so curious to hear more about your guys's stories Um, so whoa is this Getting turned around on us all of a sudden. Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> Wait a uh, second. <laughs> yeah. Matthew, Matthew looks like he's uh, <laughs> just been busted. Uh, mo- mo- moose in the headlights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's easy to, to ask all the questions. Sometimes it's harder to, to answer them, right? Mm, well, <laughs> well, perhaps we'll find out, Matthew. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. I'm, I'm in. Cool. Yeah, yeah. No, that, absolutely. Awesome. That sounds good. Well, I guess my, my big question was, how did you guys have the idea to start this podcast? What what was the impetus? Yeah, I think the idea really started with uh, co-host Joe Fredericks. 
Yeah, actually, it all came to be. I attended uh, this Outdoor Writers Expo in the summer of 2017, it would have been. And I was down there for this radio station, WTIP, where the podcast is is made through. It's a WTIP podcast. Mm. And so I was down there uh, with Sean Parrish, who runs Northern Wilds Magazine here in Grand Marais. I kind of tagged along with Sean to this huge outdoor writers. It's a national event, and it just happened to be in Duluth that year. So Sean said, come check it out. And stayed in a hotel, you know, down there for days and uh, met the keynote speaker was a guy named... Steve Ranella, who does a Meat Eater podcast, is the name of his podcast. It sounds kind of intense, but it's just <laughs> about uh, ethical hunting and fishing practices and, and eating what you catch and doing it mm-hmm. all in a sustainable, uh, you know, practical way that has respect for the land and the animal. It's just a really huge podcast. Yeah. And I think now he has his own TV show and things like that. So he was the keynote speaker. Went up to him after he gave his main presentation. I said, hey, Steve, pleasure to meet you. Shook his hand. He said, oh, you work at a radio station. He saw my name tag, and I said, yep. And he goes, so what do you got going for podcasts? And I just looked at him, and, you know, uh, none. And we didn't have any at WTIP at the time. And he said, oh, you got to get in on this. You know, this is where it's at. This is where radio is going. They're fun. This is, it's engagement for the community. You got to get a podcast going, you know. Boom, that was my takeaway. I'm driving back up 61 after the conference had ended, thinking about this. Came back, talked to our station manager about it. Nobody really knew even what it was, a podcast. What a podcast was, mm-hmm. yeah. And, 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 That's uh, notorious for uh, rural Minnesota town. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's a small community radio station, right? right? I mean, we have so only so many resources, so many people, and just so many means to create new stuff. Right. And so uh, nobody knew how to start one, and it kind of sat for a while, but I had it in my mind. And, mm-hmm. and I had met Matthew that summer, uh, not too long before that. And him and I started hanging out, doing some outdoor adventures and things. And next thing you know, him and I are gearing up for a winter trip to go into Winchell Lake and, and go skiing and, and <laughs> hiking and uh, skiing and camping, rather. Right, and right. and um, I was just like, man, I'm starting this new podcast and I don't really want to do it alone. And uh, and it's going to be about the Boundary Waters. So anyway, I formed a, the vision to make a podcast about the Boundary Waters because I love it and I love going there. And I'm yeah. it's just kind of one of my favorite things in the planet. And so why not make a podcast about it? And it's right there. Right. So I asked Matthew uh, literally around a, a campfire that was indoors, uh, around the fireplace, I guess yeah. is more appropriate, if he wanted to to get involved with it. And now when we look back on that, you know, years later now, that's like a huge moment in our lives. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw a little bit up more into that backstory <laughs> uh, because I think there's a few elements that are memorable to me that feel important. Uh, first being, uh, Joe interviewed me around a trip that I had into the Boundary Waters that uh, you know required a little bit of attention, and so we connected around that. Uh, and then you fast forward, uh, I had recently started a guiding company with my partner that was of a certain type of adventure that Joe wasn't as um, experienced with, which was uh, rock climbing in the Boundary Waters. Oh, cool. And, you know, we volunteered to take Joe out and do a story and he could, or we, to do an adventure and he could do a story on it and we could have the fun of introducing him and his wife to rock climbing in the Boundary Waters. So we did that and we all had a lot of fun together. It was a real immediate connection and 
as an exchange, uh, Joe w- was going to take me fishing hmm. yeah. in the Boundary Water. So, you know, I feel I'm very comfortable in guiding rock climbing, and that's something I'm, I know a lot about. Still learning a ton about fishing, but had not as much knowledge. So we started a sort of exchanging, um, you know, pushing each other into new areas of adventuring. And, and it was all centered around the Boundary Waters. And uh, so that was part of our personal way of getting to know each other and connecting and the conversations that you know flowed naturally out of those experiences and then we're preparing for this winter trip into Winchell and uh, we're sitting around the uh, fire mm-hmm. and actually Joe played first played the theme song by Ian Tamlin oh, uh, wow. and the intro to the podcast that he had put together. And, you know, we were all sort of sitting there awestruck at how <laughs> that had captured us. And then Joe said, and Matthew, how would you like to be the co-host? <laughs> and, you know, I just sort of flipped my flipped my lid a little bit. And <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we got, you know, there were a, a, a couple other people there, and I think some tears welled up because it was just one of those moments in life of, like, even at the time, not realizing what, this podcast would become or who would listen or if anybody even would or what it was even going to be about. That was a pretty pivotal moment uh, for me because now we just love this podcast and we've taken it on the road and it's become something that we both care uh, a great deal about it and also have a lot of fun putting together and and it's just a great, uh, great thing for the both of us. Oh my gosh. Wow. You guys, that's so special. So the fact that you were able to connect that way in exchange, um, that's really cool. I didn't know that. And I know that Joe is such an avid fisherman, but I didn't know, Matthew, that you um, rock climb and you're a rock climbing guide. Very oh, cool. he's a stud. Don't let him uh, try to play it down. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, definitely still uh, a very avid rock climber. And my favorite place to rock climb is on Seagull Lake in the Boundary the Waters. It's, it's by far one of my, on the Palisades, <clears throat> which you're familiar with. Yeah. Being up the trail. Um, probably one of my favorite places on the planet uh, to just be. Yeah. Uh, sitting on top of the Palisades or swimming in the water, climbing the cliffs. Um, and uh, actually no longer am guiding professionally. I just um, wrapped up that endeavor at the end of this last winter. So uh, it will still live on strong for my personal life, um, but I get to move on to other things professionally. Including this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to share more about that? Um, Actually, I will say this. Through the process of doing this podcast, I've rekindled my love for storytelling Mm -hmm. and for telling other people's stories. And that's one of my, by far, the most meaningful part of doing the podcast is the, the way that we get to share our human stories, especially of connection or of trial and tribulation and um, I'm excited to sort of more move more into that world and help tell more stories on a variety of platforms. Wow, what an endeavor! <laughs> and and Joe, I I know that you studied journalism at, in Missoula. I did University of Montana. University journalism of Montana school, yeah. Wow, and so what um, what motivated you to start telling stories and and pursue that path sure well it actually started even before freshman year of college i was the editor of our high school paper for two years and a reporter as a sophomore so i was on staff for three years and it even goes back before then oh my goodness uh, my friend and i used to make our own newspaper and hand it out around yes. the school and uh <laughs> i did not and know I, that. Would, I would write <laughs> stories and uh wrote a few 
books in seventh grade that my friend Scott Rolson, who still lives in Iowa, uh, still has these books, and he would wow. illustrate them, and they were... Oh. Uh, they're pretty bizarre and, and not that great, <laughs> but you know, they were, they were something to do in study hall yeah. in eighth grade or whatever. And, uh, they were based off of, uh, it was like my take of Gary Paulson's, um, Wood Song, I believe is the book where he writes the, the Iditarod mm. and he wrote also Hatchet and these other yep. books. Uh, so I took kind of a comical approach to some of the of those stories and oh. made them our own uh we also yeah so anyway i've been telling stories since i was you know 11 years old or whatever wow. and, and writing them down and then yeah seeing the reaction it's just uh and always been an interest to me to to tell a story and and see how people become so engaged with it as mm-hmm. uh, since you know that tall i've been interested in that and and that and fishing and <laughs> those are my things and those always, always kind of have been you know yeah very cool. Very cool. So, um, where did you grow up fishing when you were, you know, writing these, these stories? Uh, in, as a really young guy. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in this town, Mason city, Iowa. Uh, it's right near the Minnesota border, you know, maybe 40 miles South uh, on I 35 there. And, um, fishing there included, creeks and you know little muddy rivers and things Mm -hmm. like that and uh just getting involved with crayfish and then you put it on a hook and you know you kind of learn how to do it that way and then we also had this thing called the blue pit and it's this old rock quarry and they filled it and it's like the deepest you know 50 60 feet is incredibly deep in in iowa and (laughs) and it had clearer water and they'd put trout in it and uh, my friend joe powell and i would go fish there all the time that was kind of our spot to go and hang yeah. out and do stuff and and uh i actually wrote a story in you know 2015 i think about um for our local paper there called the globe gazette it's the daily paper in town about joe and i connecting and going ice fishing there after all these years and how it's still a place that kind of brings us together and so storytelling through through that the whole way of yeah you know that fishing is this link that brings us together as as friends who are, he's now an attorney and i'm you know, in Des Moines and I'm up here, but we still meet to go fishing all the time. So yeah, so that's what I did. I grew up fishing in little muddy creeks and a blue pit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's better than fishing in the ditch, you know? Yeah, some of those creeks are just about a ditch. (laughs) It was great. It's always been fun. That's amazing. Wow. So Matthew, um, so do you have any, let's, let's kind of turn, switch gears here. Do you have any, um, personal heroes or idols you would say that influence your, your connection to the boundary waters or wilderness? Well, that's a great question. I'm, it's, you know, it's hard for me because I, I feel like instead of having some big singular heroes Mm. my life has been scattered with all sorts of everyday heroes you know people who have inspired me um in in little seemingly little but huge ways um i'll maybe just name a few people and one of the first ones was um i've talked about some of these trips on the podcast but when i was um when i was 14 um my family had recently moved to wisconsin and uh, I had a friend, a friend of mine from church, and I went on a little, you know, group canoe trip, you know, like an overnight on the Black River, I believe. And we had a great time. And a couple of years later, when we were 15, my buddy was like, let's do 
let's do a four-day trip, just me and you on the Black River. And, you know, it, to me, like, that was completely absurd. Like, nobody else, no supervision, no parents. Absurd, but exciting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, especially as an adolescent, I ha- had no ability to plan something. And I think that's a unique ability. And my buddy, Josiah, he... He put it all together. Like he went to the library, he got maps of the river. Wow. He researched like camping gear and made a list. And we went and you know used our, you know I think I worked at Red Lobster at the time, and <laughs> you know the the little bit of money I made from dishwashing, and we bought our, you know first tent and um, camp stove, and we got out there and did it. And then we did it year after year after year. But I think he was one of my first heroes um, in in that day to day way of showing me what's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, that we can get out and do this and we can do it. We can rely on ourselves. And we had numerous uh, excursions where we ran into things that, you know, I had no idea how to handle and we worked through them and, and got through them, and cl- including shooting, you know, class four rapids in an aluminum canoe and, oh and losing all our stuff and getting our canoe pinned and, and having flooding waters, getting flooded out of sandbars and, you know, all these things that were, you know, I, I think if I would have known they were coming, would not have been prepared for mm-hmm. and would have said that's a terrible idea, but we were in it and we did it. Um, I'd say one other sort of hero that I grew when I was a young adult that got me really excited about the wilderness was uh, John Muir mm-hmm. and his writings about um, this. a lot of the spiritual um, connections with the wilderness spoke really deeply to me and um, really pushed me into sort of embracing that that's my place of um, connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think those are the two that really come off the, you know, I immediately think of right. personally. Wow. <laughs> what a good answer. Wow. <laughs> and um, and Joe, how about you? Who are, who are some of your heroes and how they've influenced your um, connection to the wilderness? Sure. Well, so, uh, you know, growing up, as I said, reading uh, people like Gary Paulson and not really taking it uh, as seriously, perhaps, as I, I mean, I was in eighth grade for one thing, but but always being interested in the nature side of the story where, yeah. where my other friends or we would turn it into this comedic thing but I was still sort of in the back of my mind like yeah but this is really cool you know talking about the woods and stuff and <laughs> then moving to Missoula taking that a little more seriously and starting yeah. to read people uh, you know Ed Abbey and and Gary Snyder and people uh, who were talking it a little more poetically or seriously than at where I was at 12 or something and right. now I'm maybe 18 19 years old and being like yeah this is actually I'm into this and I'm camping yeah. b- getting into backpacking all over Montana and finding out you know this is named the Bob Marshall Wilderness well who's Bob Marshall you know right. who is this guy and then finding out like oh they dedicated their lives to conservation and preservation and this is what their w- work was right. and so learning about the people who put their their heart into protecting some of the wild lands in America and then you learn about Sigols and and people when you move here in northern Minnesota and and so you know their writings have influenced both my writing and my way of, of looking at the world and certainly the wilderness uh, those would be some some names in the larger context of it but also people uh, I had a gentleman out here from Oregon this past fall in 2018 his name's Ed Gross and he's He's an old-timer guy. He used to work for the Forest Service. He's retired from the Forest Service. Now he lives on the Oregon coast is where I met him. 
and um, he was a soil scientist for the Forest Service, and he's just as sharp as a tack when you go into the woods with him. I went into the Boundary Waters with him here. He'd never been, and even though he has a, a master's from the University of Minnesota, he'd never been. Took him fishing and paddling, and he's now 80... Um, three or four or something yeah. like that. And um, he's still spotting out every tree, every bird call, everything on the fl- on the forest floor, and, and just an amazing individual and a true inspiration to me um, as far as just what uh, your, your knowledge can be of your surroundings and why it's important to know some of that, not just uh, I want to protect it, you know, just because I others are or I feel right. like that's a a cause that I should get on because other people are doing it. Like mm-hmm. Ed's just a natural, he started this thing called the trash dogs in Oregon. And it's a nonprofit group that he started. And all they do is just pick up garbage in the woods. And, and I'm talking like tons of pounds of garbage that they've collected. And he did it just because he, he, he wanted to, he, yeah. it irritated him to see that. So he started a group and they just do it. It's a total grassroots thing and yeah. that you can have an impact. You don't have to be a legend like a, a John Muir or somebody at yeah. Abbey to, to have an impact. You know, you can be Ed Gross and live on the Oregon coast and change the world. And so I think that's pretty, pretty inspiring too. Absolutely. Wow. It is amazing how everyone you meet can really impact your life. Yeah. Everyday heroes. That's how, that's why we're sitting here with you, Chelsea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, so maybe let's get into like some specific trips in the boundary waters you guys have done so so matthew every time every time you go out there do you bring your rock climbing gear or uh you know great question not really um i think when i started to do commercial guiding into the boundary waters for climbing that um sort of became a a job yeah and you know as it does yeah as it does and and I was out there so much in that context and and that was all always you know filling my time through um the peak summer season so I would not usually be able to get on my own trip until the fall and though that my I think I do love climbing the boundary waters but the thing that I'm most excited about paddling is just going to new places yeah and um discovering a new lake and a new route and visiting a new entry point. Mm. Uh, so the last uh, several years since I've been up here, my partner Lindsay and her dad and I do a trio fall trip. Oh, cool. Um, and, uh, you know, that sometimes got pushed pretty late into the season. And um, we did a pretty epic October trip one year. Um, and uh, I think one of the most memorable parts of that trip was one of the scariest parts of the trip. We were, my partner, Lindsay, and she solo paddled the whole thing. And I did a tandem with her dad. And we woke up on Sag Lake, um, just at the campsite west of American Point to um, snow and freezing rain. And uh, I think the temperature was hovering right around probably 32, 33 degrees. And you know, we, we were pretty cold and everything was wet and we decided, you know, to make the big sag crossing, um, in those conditions. And we had a, a really hefty wind, uh, tailwind to, which can be sometimes more intimidating than a headwind. Mm-hmm. And we, we made that sag crossing with the compass dialed in to, to make it across. And I had the map plastered in front of me and, you know, the whole way I was sort of just, you know, 
staying present and saying we just got to stay stable and keep moving forward. And um, I think those situations where, um, like I mentioned earlier, where you sort of encounter things that push you out of your comfort zone, but are also, you know, fully present. Like it's, I was 100% in mm-hmm. that moment every second, you know, watching our boat, watching her boat and just make, you know, getting through that. And that was a, one of my, one of my most exciting moments yeah. thus far in the, in the wilderness, I wow. think. You must have felt so alive. Yeah. Oh, more, <laughs> more alive than I think I wanted to, but that's sometimes the magic moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How about you, Joe? Uh, well, I love the winter mm. and uh, the cold, colder the better, and wow. and um, camping in the cold and being out there, ice fishing in the cold. And uh, my friend from Montana, who is a cancer survivor, uh, and he's 35 or 6, um, came to visit, and he'd never been to the Boundary Waters. And I, when I left Oregon, so after Missoula, I moved to Oregon and lived there for about eight years, and, and after... Um, leaving Oregon, I, my friend got sick with cancer and I was only in my early thirties or 30 at this stage. And, and so was he, and, and he got, uh, cancer in his bones and he was, it was, he was given a really slim chance to survive actually. And at one point it was, we kind of parted ways and said, you know, I thought maybe it'd be the last time I ever saw him. And, uh, so years went by and then he got better and just all these things started falling, happening right for him. And, and uh, he was able to come visit. This was in uh, 2016 or 17. And uh, and I took him ice fishing up the trail, and then we went into Duncan and Seagull and all around up there. And, and um, it was just such an amazing trip. He was here for a week, and he's 6'7". He's just this lumbering giant, you know, <laughs> and he's just digging holes and like nothing and pulling all the gear. And I, I wrote a, for the Boundary Waters Journal a couple of other places about this trip, which just it, it meant so much to me, both the trip itself, but having him here and that he overcame that was just an amazing, and and he's such a, a, you know, he gets so inspired. He's kind of like Matthew and man, look at that. You know, (laughs) everything is like just a, you know, such a curiosity, natural curiosity about people. That's something I always uh, appreciate. And Matthew uh, has that. The magic. You know, and you don't have to kind of say, you know, some of my friends, they come up and it's just kind of, they're here to fish and it's like mm-hmm. a more of a utilitarian type thing. Mm-hmm. And, and you kind of maybe point out, oh, boy, it's a nice day or look at those white pine, huh, buddy? And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but with with them, it's more like, he, John, my friend in particular, was just really taking it all in and I'd yeah. catch him sometimes just, and I think because he's been through that, yeah. uh, that was probably part of it too, but he's always kind of been that way too. So that, that trip was great. And then uh, that winter trip too with Matthew actually was pretty, pretty <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. And then, yeah, th- those two, I think, uh, would be right up there or maybe the one and two or they're, they're about the same or something, you know, right in there yeah. and, and they're both in the winter. I don't know if that's just because I like the winter or, yeah. or what the connection is I, there, but I do want to say there, there are certain people in this world that, uh, enjoy being cold mm-hmm. and Joe is one of those people <laughs> and I don't. I don't relate to that. I don't, uh, but I appreciate it immensely. It's a. I think it takes a certain type of person to enjoy being cold. I think embrace they, that. They're yeah. in the Joe's in the right place up here. Go the polar bear. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. So was the the winter trip? Was that the very first episode of the podcast? It wasn't the first episode, 
but it was the first time Joe and I got together for the podcast. I think that ended up airing episode two or three, two. Yeah, episode two, and we we recorded one and two to launch it. I think they came out on the same day, actually, if I remember, right? It debuted on the airwaves of WTIP episode one, and then we said, you know, go to iTunes or wherever you can get them, and episode one and two are there. So we scheduled it that way. Gotcha, Mm -hmm. gotcha. Yeah. So how many... Are you used to winter camping, Matthew? Is Uh... (laughs) <laughs> he's getting that way now yeah <laughs> um it's still uh i'm still on you know i was born in texas oh uh, i was born in dallas um my my family is from there we my parents moved to, all six of us up to wisconsin when i was 14 and i didn't know what winter was until mm-hmm. until that and then even more coming up here so I, there's still, I love, like, I love ice climbing. I love cross-country skiing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just started skate skiing the last couple of years. And, yeah, I think, like Joe said, I'm definitely getting comfortable with it. And um, the, I think with anybody, with most people, when you're, you know, to start out skiing into the wilderness in a negative 30-degree uh, climate, it, it goes against your brain's <laughs> natural instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the experience of going into something so harsh and and then being okay, mm-hmm. you know, knowing like here, we, we know what we're doing and we're going to do it right. And mm-hmm. if and that builds a lot of confidence. And I think I hope a lot of uh, a lot of people can relate to that that you know getting and and putting yourself in a hazardous place and then coming out on the other end okay and then knowing what you can do in the future and it makes everything in normal life seem so easy doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) yeah until you forget and then you gotta get back out there and do it again (laughs) yeah yeah there's there's a period of time exactly so joe would you agree with the statement that there's no such thing as bad weather only bad clothing uh yeah i would I I think that that's pretty pretty. Did I say that, or no, is that I some kind know. of national was, thing or something? I don't know. Wait, is this like a <laughs> is this a test? Uh, <laughs> no, that seems pretty accurate to me. Um, yeah. But I run pretty warm on the mm. internal, so um, I I think that you know for me one the hardest part is not sweating on these winter trips and then regretting that later at camp. I, I you know at once we get set up, I'll I'll layer up pretty heavily. But even then, I I run just i think that's why i like the cold yeah. is that i'm always kind of naturally hot i guess or right, warm at, at least so uh for but for clothing yeah i've seen uh you know i've always wanted to when people are complaining about it yeah be like yeah but look you're wearing a sweatshirt you know right. why of course it's cold you, you're wearing just like minimal gear to protect yeah. yourself uh so i think that if people would definitely get better prepared with clothing it doesn't have to be this new age stuff i mean a lot of that's great but um you can just kick it old school and stay plenty warm wool cap yeah Yeah, exactly good old-fashioned wool yeah so (laughs) yes i think that it's definitely accurate that um and that doesn't always have to apply to cold either there's you know it can go the other way around uh, for wet and things like that too so uh clothing is a is a key part especially here in the boundary waters where Mm. it's serious stuff i mean you don't want to go into 30 below without the right gear. That's just definitely something I would put out there, I guess, for people right. to be aware of. And, right. and uh, to talk to people around town here on the North Shore or Matthew or talk to, you know, reaches at the podcast or whatever, and we could 
point you in the right direction for what you need for gear. And, and uh, you know, the whole point of this podcast was to have some interactive, uh, to be open to hear stories, but also just communicate directly with people. And I think that's been like so great about getting to meet you, Chelsea, and, and through the podcast. This was like the whole idea when Matthew and I were sitting out there on wind chill or when we're, <laughs> we're on Duncan or we're uh, paddling, sitting anchored in, fishing, we're always talking about, you know, well, what's the point? What are we doing exactly with this? Or what's this next episode? Yeah. And from day one, it's always been, let's get to know the listeners as much as we can and be interactive and be open to emails and phone calls. And uh, meeting you has been just a perfect example of, of what we wanted to do with the podcast. And so thank you for all your interest in, in listening to the episodes and, oh, yeah. and just being here. Chelsea, this is like just kind of blowing our minds or at least mine. I, yeah, I'm going to turn this, I'm going to turn this interview back around here. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. I've been, I'm, I'm following. I'm getting lead. out of the hot seat with these trick questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I think so the goal, one of the goals of the podcast is to be inspired mm. And if Joe and I are feeling inspired by the stories we're hearing, then that's a, hopefully the indicator to us that it's inspiring other people. So I'm going to flip it back around on you, Chelsea, and say, what, are you, what have you become inspired for or to do uh, you know, from this point forward? Wow. Um, well, I would say I think I, I started listening to the podcast um, really just missing this place. But, you know, I think what the what the podcast also brought to light for me was how much um, this place also brings people together. And and like you guys, we've been talking a lot about stories and wanting to share stories and connect with people. I think um, this podcast is really inspired. I'm kind of a shy person, so it's it's hard for me to network and get out there. But, you know, you guys are so friendly and I feel like listening to other people's stories and how much they love this place, it's it's really inspired me to to meet people to go battle with, honestly. Um, you know, whatever that might be. I, I'm with you, Matthew. I think my big draw is, is the spirituality. Um, and, you know, saying that can kind of make you feel a little vulnerable. Um, and so, but it's neat to hear that there are other people like that out there who appreciate who appreciate this place. So, um, I wouldn't say it's any specific trip. Maybe I am I am feeling more empowered to try winter camping and and getting up here more in the winter. Um, you see a lot of people around here in the summertime, not as many in the winter. That's for sure. <laughs> but um, I just I really appreciate what you guys do. I uh, it's a great way. To spend time listening, listening to you guys, uh, you you really have a knack for bringing out um, some really cool stories from people. Okay, all right, well, guys, I've been speaking with Joe Fredericks and Matthew Baxley on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Um, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for having us, Chelsea. But thanks for having <laughs> us. <laughs> I am Jack. I'm Lauren. And I'm Bobby from We Found Adventure. When adventuring into the BWCA with our two young children along, we need a canoe that is safe and stable, even when loaded down with extra gear, like our baby's pack and play and a week's worth of snacks for all of us. Seriously, nobody wants to deal with a hangry toddler. 
North Star Canoes Northwind 20 is a perfect fit for our family. The added cargo space and fourth seat means every member of our family has somewhere to sit while still leaving plenty of room for our gear. It steers like a much shorter canoe and we found it to be equally at home whether we're paddling a local lake or river or for extended trips into the wilderness. North Star Canoes, helping you share wonder with your family and proud to support the BWCA and this Boundary Waters podcast on WTIP. Online at northstarcanoes.com. We love canoeing! Fantastic interview with and then from Chelsea Lloyd. Uh, we love that interview so much that we decided to uh, to take that momentum and build on it. Wouldn't you say, Joe? I mean, we basically were just awestruck with, you know, what really struck me about Chelsea's uh, interview that she did with us was the way she was prepared. She was she was calm. She wasn't, you know, I mean, I remember my first interviews when I started in radio, which is you know, six years ago or something. Now, I used to get a little bit kind of worked up, even in a pre-recorded format. You just want to make sure you're saying the right things. And there's, I just, I remember some anxiety. Chelsea was so just confident, composed, and just like, yes, this is what I'd like to know from you guys. And just tell, went tell, about it. Tell me right. what, yeah. tell me what you got. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so, Matthew, we liked that so much that we have officially extended the invitation and it's been accepted to have chelsea lloyd join us on the wtip boundary waters podcast chelsea's now part of the team she is on the team uh she's dope she has at this point already dove in and has amazing interview ideas even conducted an interview uh as we speak she is on her way up into the canadian waters uh, to with uh, recording equipment in hand, and uh, we're excited to hear what comes out of her experiences, and we hope you're looking forward to it as much as we are, all of you listening. Yeah, so Chelsea might not be on every episode, but she's going to be on a lot of episodes here on the podcast moving forward here in the rest of 2019 and definitely into 2020. So uh, if you uh, wanted to get a story idea or a pitch to Chelsea, you can definitely do that still through the same way that you do right now, podcast at gmail.com, and we'll get your story idea. Say, hey, you know, this might be a good idea for Chelsea. We'll make sure that she gets that. Yeah, if you want to uh, get to know Chelsea a little bit better, uh, check out our Patreon page uh, where uh, there's a short interview with Joe and Chelsea right here outside of the WTIP studios in Grand Marais, Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get back into episode twenty here because I'm getting I'm getting the idea that it might be time, Matthew, for as we start to look, you know, ahead for the next month into September and then oh. into the fall, where you and I love to get out. Uh, might be cool to try out some hammock camping in the fall. And I uh, wanted to learn a little bit more. You said earlier we we dabbled on it, we got into it a little bit in episode nineteen, but we really wanted to kind of get in depth. Uh, so you did just that in this interview. It is my pleasure to welcome Danny Warnock to the podcast today. Danny, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. You know, we're here to talk all about hammock camping and specifically hammock camping in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area or Quetico uh, on the other side of the border. Uh, For those uh, who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your relationship to the wilderness? Yeah, for sure. I, uh... I grew up backpacking with my family a little bit. I just always loved 
being outside and adventures. Um, and uh, in my during college, I had a, a roommate who introduced me to the Boundary Waters, brought me up there, um, and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I have been out there almost every single year now uh, since then, um, ten or you know probably ten times or more. And um, I just I just love being out there. You know that's a, a fantastic thing, and we regularly hear that exact phrase. I went out for the first time, and I fell in love with it. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what you remember in regards to your first experience in the wilderness. I just remember the the beauty, obviously, um, just gorgeous, um, and then the solitude and the quiet. And just having like no motors within ten miles, um, I love just just being away from the crowds and the busyness of life. And one thing I love about camping in general, but also Boundary Waters, is just kind of the simplicity of life. Like normal life, we've got a million things going on. We're trying to keep track of everything, but in the wilderness, it's like, oh, I need to find a campsite, and you're just focused on that. And it's like, okay, now I need to make a fire, or I now I need to set up my my sleeping area. And I just like the the simplicity of that. Yes, and that is something, the simplicity factor, that you have been working on dialing in for quite some time, specifically in regards to the simplicity of hammock camping. Now, back in those first trips in the Boundary Waters, did you start hammock camping then, or were you starting in a more traditional way? Uh, I started very traditional, a tent, sleeping pad, and uh, honestly, that was like, other than portaging, which, you know, portaging can be rough sometimes, although it's satisfying when you finish it. Indeed. Uh, other than portaging, <laughs> the uh, sleeping in a tent was kind of the other, you know, my least favorite part. Like, I, I didn't usually feel like I woke up very rested, but it was worth it because I just loved being out there and I was willing to, to tolerate sleeping on the ground. Um, but it was uh, it was several years later that I that I actually discovered hammocks. So you sort of went on numerous trips tolerating uh, this element of camping that's really traditional. I mean, when you think of camping, you think of a tent and yep. you think of sleeping on the ground or on a sleeping pad on the ground. And for you, that was a little unsatisfying. And I can relate to that. Um, my least favorite part is being, especially under a rain fly, uh, not being able to feel the breeze or mm. not being able to see the stars. So that ushered you into uh, sort of a, a new horizon, a, a new way of camping that is actually sort of gaining popularity, uh, and that's yeah. hammock camping. Uh, can you just sort of define what that is for anybody who doesn't doesn't know the concept? Well, hammock camping is when you don't bring a tent, which lightens your pack a lot, um, and you sleep in a hammock, uh, and then you need to make sure that you're addressing, um, you know, rain with, with some form of a tarp, uh, and then probably want to think about some kind of insect coverage, um, as well as top and bottom insulation in your hammock. And if you address all of those things, um, it is a really fantastic experience, and I absolutely love sleeping in a hammock compared to a tent, and I sleep just about as well uh, in a good hammock setup as I sleep in my own bed at home. I think it's really good. That's saying something. Yeah. You know, I would like to talk about sort of the different components of hammock camping and things that our listeners may want to consider when thinking about 
endeavoring into this new horizon that may offer uh, a deeper, more satisfying slumber in the wilderness. Uh, but before we dive into the nuts and bolts, uh, how did you come across this, and what was sort of your uh, introduction process and how you ironed out the kinks? Sure. Uh, well, it actually started with uh, an adventure I'd always wanted to do. I wanted to do, which was a solo camping trip in the Boundary Waters. I just always thought that would be a really cool thing to do. I just like the kind of self-reliance and solitude and bring along a good book. And um, so that was a, a dream that I always wanted to do. Um, and then I started, you know, planning out my pack, um, looking at all my stuff. I had my fishing gear. And, uh, like, the pack was just getting really, really heavy uh, for the solo trip. Um, and I, so I started thinking, man, I, I was going to bring my, you know, my, my Eno hammock just to chill in anyway. And I just got thinking, huh, I wonder if I could sleep in that. And I, I lit, you know, this was maybe six years ago. And I, I really hadn't heard about hammock camping. Like, I didn't really know it was a thing. So you weren't uh, influenced started... by the fad. And let's make that clear. You're not no. a fad chaser. No, I'm not. Maybe more of a, you know, trendsetter, maybe. There you go. But uh, no, <laughs> I hadn't heard of it, and I Googled it, and sure enough, I found this little small hammock community online, and I was like, yeah, people do this. And I had actually gotten into making my own tarps and stuff sacks a few years before that, so I already had sewn a little bit. And uh, so I already had a tarp that I'd made, a nice, like, lightweight um, silk nylon tarp. And then, not nice looking, but it was functional. Mm-hmm. And then um, then I realized all I had to do was make a bug net. So I got some, like, sheer curtains from Walmart and sewed it into a bug net. And um, I brought my sleeping pad and that hammock. And I laid on the sleeping pad with my down sleeping bag. And that was my first setup for that trip. And it definitely reduced my weight by a few pounds. And, uh, and it was a good experience. I would say I liked it a little bit more than a tent. Like I would definitely have kept on doing that. Um, but there was a few problems with the sleeping pad. One, I hate blowing them up. Um, and they're a little bit bulky. And then, um, my shoulders were cold. So I still had a kind of stuff like a, you know, a sweatshirt right on my shoulders. And it was pretty tricky to get in the bug net, on the hammock, on the sleeping pad, inside my sleeping bag, um, and just get settled. And once I did, like, I really didn't even, I was afraid to even move or get up. So uh, once you're in, the prospect of uh, relieving yourself uh, <laughs> is maybe a little intimidating. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough choice sometimes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So uh, you proceeded to... Uh, you, you enjoyed it so much, you proceeded to work on your own innovations. Uh, you're obviously the kind of guy who you're, you were making your own gear, and, and you continued yeah. to do that. And how, how did you proceed with innovating the hammock camping experience for yourself? Yeah, so um, after the trip, um, I started doing some more research, looking on uh, hammockforums.net, and just seeing other people just talking about, well, online. I didn't know anybody who hammock camped. Um, but, you know, talking to the online community, um, I learned about underquilts, which address your bottom insulation um, in, a, in a really effective way. And you essentially attach um, down, you know, it could be down insulation on the bottom and it kind of just suspends there right next to the hammock. Um, and that seemed like 
uh, a huge step up from my sleeping pad. So I thought, okay, that's that's kind of cool, the, you know, this, this underquilt. But the underquilts, um, which I would argue is maybe the second best way to hammock camp, um, but they, the underquilts have some challenges with them. They, they might slide off. They can have full drafts. Sometimes you wake up and your feet are, you know, slidden off and or it's off your shoulder, and you really have to kind of adjust them just right. And I, I kind of thought, you know, that that seems like a bit of a hassle. Like, it's definitely a step up from the sleeping pad, but I really want something simpler that's never going to slide around and not have cold drafts. And I, and I thought, why not just sew the down insulation right into a hammock, and it would just be a dedicated sleeping hammock. And to me, that seemed like um, just a simpler, less putsy, thing to do and you, you are giving up a little bit of versatility like maybe it's not the hammock you're going to use on a you know 90 90 degree day in the you know during the summer but like i just want the perfect sleeping hammock and so that was the idea that i had and at the time there was maybe one other person i could find on the internet who had made something a little bit like that for themselves but it just wasn't a thing anybody was doing and certainly not anything you could buy so i um i just did some more research on materials, on the best materials. I started buying down, started buying down jackets at thrift stores. I'd just go down like the ladies' aisle and buy like three down jackets. Well, kind of <laughs> silly, but. <laughs> and then I, uh, you know, I I washed the I washed the jackets and then I extracted the down and I had come up with a design that um, you know I spent quite a bit of time thinking about this design. I didn't want to put all this time into it and not have it work correctly, and uh, ended up sewing up this thing. It was a big project. I spent 40 hours making this thing, um, but it turned out turned out really nice. There was a couple couple details that, that I had to fix later, but all in all, um, this insulated hammock was was pretty pretty awesome. And uh, on my next Boundary Waters trip the next year, when I brought it, like my friends were definitely jealous of my hammock. Yeah, it was really sweet. Well, I can see why. And I just want to clarify uh, a few conceptual things. So when you're sleeping on the ground in uh, your tent or, or open air, depending on the weather, the sleeping pad has two purposes. One, yeah. it provides comfort uh, padding between you and the hard, rocky earth, but it also yeah. provides insulation from a, the right. cold ground that will uh, essentially draw your body heat out. So you're yeah. translating this into a hammock where you no longer need that cushiony padding so all right. you're now concerned with is the insulation and these under quilts provided that uh with some downfalls so you proceeded to fill the hammock itself with insulation so there wasn't any room for adjustment error correct right yep exactly so a huge innovation and from what it sounds like no one no one had been uh, other than maybe one or two people you ran across who were sort of DIY uh, right. this, uh, you were making it up as you went. Yeah. Yep. So where, I mean, where did it go from there? Was that sort of like you arrived at your innovation and now, you know, hammock camping is complete for you or, uh, did you consider to continue to notice new ways to improve? Well, um, like I said, I had, I had made one mistake. Um, there's, there's quite a bit of thought and effort that goes into, making sure the, the outside layer of the insulated hammock stays really lofted and doesn't get stretched out. And so I had missed part of, 
part of that. Most of it I got, but I missed one part of it, so it, it didn't have quite the full insulation lofting that it should have. So I, I you know, I always knew I'd correct that the next time around. It was also a pretty short hammock. That was only a nine-foot hammock, and then so I knew I'd want a longer one. Um, as I was learning more about hammocks, like I was really still very new to hammocks at, at that point, and I didn't realize a nine-foot hammock is just too short to be comfortable. Um, and now, for me, a 10-foot hammock is kind of the ideal length. Some people are liking 11 feet now, and I've tried that, and um, I still like 10. I, you know, I don't find 11 to be more comfortable, but some people do. Anyway, so there was the length, and I, uh, you know, I knew I'd want to dial that in. Um, but, I, but at that point, I thought, well, I'd really like a winter hammock. Like, this seems like a really good way to winter hammock. And so I, uh, I started designing um, a winter hammock that would just have probably about three times as much down in it. Um, that hammock I have tested down to minus 20 um, a few years back. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I made this, this, you know, version number two was my winter hammock version. Um, and I corrected those, um, you know, shortcomings I just mentioned about the, the lofting issue and the um, going with 10 feet long. And man, to that day, to this day, that's still a, a great hammock that I use sometimes. Um, so that was version number two. Um, and at this point, like people were kind of, people around me kind of started taking notice and they're like, that is really cool. Where can I buy that? I was like, well, you can't. <laughs> and, um, and so I, you know, ended up starting to thinking, man, maybe this is an, maybe this is a, an innovative enough idea. Maybe there's enough people interested. I should think about a business. And, um, so I, I ended up then starting to talk to an entrepreneur friend I knew and he started asking me some questions from more of a business perspective and, um, just kind of got the wheels turning and um yeah so that's kind of the origins of of uh of what is now superior gear yeah well i mean it, i think this is a really cool element of the story is uh and we've heard this multiple times on the podcast you know specifically around uh gear is that the innovation that leads to new gear comes out of experience mm. A- and when it works uh people want to get involved. People want to use gear that works. And you channeled that innovation into your own entrepreneurial um, experience. And now these things are accessible to anyone. And uh, with that, you know, with, you know, somebody who's going to, maybe they're going to visit Superior Gear and start hammock shopping. Maybe they're going to go to their local gear shopper and outfitters. Let's talk about, um, the basics. So, uh, you know, you, you don't, it, from what I know, you can tell me where we want to go with this, but you don't start with just buying a hammock. You have straps that are sold separately from hammocks. And as you said earlier, you have rain flies and bug nets. Where does a person start? I, I would definitely start by doing some research. Um, there's some really great forums online of, um, experienced hammock campers like hammockforums.net and there's some good Facebook groups. Um, I would really um, find out from people that have experience um, what's going to work for you as far as, you know, even your budget or the, you know, the things you're concerned about with the hammocking. Are you, are you a kind of camper who's just, you know, super, super duper ultra light and you want those, you know, to save those three extra ounces on your suspension system or, would you rather one that's maybe a little easier to use, but slightly heavier? Um, so just figuring out what kind of camp camper you are um, and what you're looking for, um, I would say just some research 
up front would be good. Yeah, so it sounds like there's almost so much uh, innovation that uh, doing some research and figuring out your preferences and your price points are the place to start. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but let's say I already have my sleeping bag and my sleeping pad. If I just want to get out and hammock camp in the spring before bugs, I can probably get out for under 150 bucks to hammock camp for the first time just to check it out. Does that feel pretty realistic? Yeah, I would say so. Um, yeah, you can find you can find honestly pretty pretty nice little tarps on Amazon that aren't super expensive. Um, just make sure you have at least I would say you know two feet longer than the length of your hammock. It's about how long of a tarp you probably want to have to have some overhang there. Um, anywhere, and then you can buy really nice you know tarps. But yeah, there's some there's some uh, low cost options out there for tarps. Um, and then hammocks, I I really would be careful with the very cheap hammocks because they, they really are cheaply made. Um, and I've heard so many stories of people who buy these cheap hammocks and they're just, they're really sorry they bought them because they, they don't last long or they're really uncomfortable. And you don't, you don't have to spend an astronomical amount on a hammock, but I would spend enough money there to, to get a nice hammock from a reputable company. Yeah, I think there's a lot of companies out there that are putting out hammocks, so knowing the quality is important and there's that piece that uh you know if you get a nine foot hammock you want a 10 11 foot tarp if you're doing a 10 foot hammock you want a 12 foot tarp Um, yeah i would really advise 10 feet or longer on the hammocks um, because hammocks do um kind of the turn you into banana a little bit and so especially a nine footer can tend to do that so i would i would really suggest you know a 10 foot hammock or even an 11 foot hammock especially if you're like very tall um and then the other the other thing while we're on that subject is the diagonal lay is a very important thing to know about uh, which also helps with the banana effect which is when you lay in the hammock don't lay straight in it turn a little bit to the side like at a diagonal and the hammock will actually flatten out a lot especially if it's you know designed with um you know the correct sort of dimensions um, it'll have a really good diagonal lay and lay flatter that's really great advice uh you know i want to jump danny to this concept that sort of blows my mind about um your experience and that is this idea of hammock camping in the winter i know there's <laughs> a, a huge event right on the edge of the boundary waters up here every year i, I believe it's called the frozen butts Yep. Um, and always a great group of people coming up yeah. to winter hammock camp. Talk about that a little bit. I mean, you know, I shiver just sort of thinking about it, but it sounds <laughs> like you can do this in a way that is really comfortable. Oh, yeah. Um, I have not, I really haven't tried winter camping before hammocks because it honestly just did not sound very appealing, at least as far as comfort. Maybe the adventure part of it would be fun. But in terms of, like, actually knowing you're going to sleep well at night, I, I really never seriously considered winter camping until um, still I started making these insulated hammocks. Um, and so, yeah, I went to the, yeah, the frozen butt hang on Sawbill Lake um, two years ago. I didn't make it this year. Uh, but, yeah, I went two years ago. It was really fun. I met, like, a ton of great people. Like, it's just, just a really quality group of people um, that, that that was really fun to do. And then this year, thanks to, like, some record-breaking temperatures we had, um, I wanted to really test out my gear. Um, and so I actually, um, I hammock camped outside at minus 30. Um, I even got on uh, our local news, CARE 11, 
uh, when I was doing that. So I did minus 30. And then the next night, I went to the coldest place I could find in Minnesota, um, up like about a mile or an hour and a half um, northeast of the cities, or northwest, I mean. And uh, we were able to get down to minus 38 degrees. So I successfully and quite comfortably slept all night at minus 38. Well, I think there you have it. Uh, you can take this lightweight innovation and translate it to uh, all seasons in the Boundary Waters. And, you know, just the idea of being able to uh, sling things up, get warm, get cozy, stay dry, um, all sort of while being cradled in uh, a beautiful nest suspended in the air. Mm -hmm. It sounds like an amazing experience. And I, um, I hope that anybody who has been curious about this process um, feels like they have enough knowledge to kind of start to get into that. And I think it's even more important to mention that if anybody wants to contact you directly, Danny, with questions, how should they get a hold of you? They can um, go to, uh, they can email me at superiorhammock at gmail.com. And if you do email Danny uh, after listening to this, make sure to tell him that you heard about it on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Danny, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Any last words of advice that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I just, uh, if, if people have any way to try this out, I highly suggest that I, I know very few people who have tried it like hammock camping and, um, and not just really, really enjoyed it and found all the benefits of, um, uh, just getting a great night's sleep and being able to camp literally anywhere that there's some trees and even, even using it in your just everyday life to get some hangs in at the park. Um, it's just, I mean, I love it. So I, I hope everyone gives it a shot. Me too, Danny. Uh, Thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is Danny Warnock, uh, innovator and entrepreneur and hammock camper, and safe to say, not a frozen butt hammock camper anymore. (laughs) Yep. Thanks for having me. Yep. We'll see you in the Boundary Waters, Danny. All right. See you there. Well, that that filled me in, Matthew, for questions that I had about hammock camping, how it applies to the Boundary Waters. You know, we heard, too, from Kevin the K-Man Kramer in episode 19 how much he's gotten into it and and why he has. And, in in fact, we have a video on our Patreon page about how to set up a hammock. And it's a video which, because, you know, this is a podcast, it's audio, um, the, the specifics of how you tie some of those knots and how exactly you get it attached to the trunk of a tree and uh, Kevin did, it's like a 14-minute video for us that's on our Patreon page. And if you're wondering what that is, it's uh, patreon.com or type into Google is actually the easiest way I found is uh, type WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N into Google, and that will take you right to it. And basically, it's just an enhanced way to be involved with the podcast. It's video, audio, things that aren't on just iTunes or Google Play, wherever you're getting this actual podcast. Yeah, I was pretty new to Patreon when we first launched that part of this project. And um, I'm actually, it's a very cool platform uh, to be able to interact. And I've been really happy to see the folks who have uh, gotten involved with the podcast on that page. Um, and, it, you know, it's been really great 
I just want to continue to thank all the people who are not just listening, although we we you know can't do this podcast without all you listeners, but you folks who have taken the extra step to email um, or join Patreon, um, that gives us a way to actually make our interactions reciprocal. Um, it's great to send this out into the world, and it's really great to get something back from you folks. And that also includes getting something from our sponsors. Uh, the stories they tell and the way that they keep this podcast going is something that we really appreciate. So thank you huge to Duluth Pack and also to North Star Canoes um, for being a part of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And Matthew, we got some great things lined up here for the fall, but it is still August, and... Um I guess I probably better get out and go walleye fishing. I don't know what your plans are for the rest of the day, but... I th- think we, we're going tonight, Joe. Yes, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, let's get to it. Uh, episode 20, it's been a lot of fun, and we're excited to have Chelsea Lloyd join the podcast here moving forward. A lot of great things coming your way. So, as always, thanks so much. And until next time, here on the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast, Matthew and Joe are out to go fishing. Dude, you didn't tie the anchor on tight enough. Oh, crap! <laughs> I just sing when I paddle through. Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night, the waves beat the shore. You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar. Rule me, rock me in my dreams. You can roll me, rock me. I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light All around the campfire light All around, all around, all around The campfire light